Okay, so we're back. I don't have a any quirky or stupid intro for this one. Just uh, <laughs> just ready to talk about some Magic: The Gathering uh, with the boys, of course. We're a business podcast with the bros. Yeah, we're gonna be talking. We're gonna be talking strictly finance. How to uh, buy low and sell high. <laughs> the new Hex Drinkers NFT coming to uh, marketplace near you. Exactly. We're also trying to work on launching a uh, a cryptocurrency, Hexcoin. <laughs> Hexcoin. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. It's like Dogecoin, except cuter because, I mean, have you seen our logo? It's, it's pretty cute. It's tonight. ridiculously cute. Yeah. But in the meantime, while that's uh, that's getting off the ground, while we're uh, securing angels, investors, and stuff, we're talking about Magic the Gathering. We're talking about um, a new set. What? They're releasing another Magic the Gathering set so <laughs> Who soon. Who could have guessed? So soon. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, we got spoiled with the, with the preview stream today, so that was full of cringe, but also full of... <laughs> New cards, which is great. And uh, we're talking about Popper again. Popper is popping off. And I got my pop filter on my mic so that you guys can't hear all that uh, all that spit when I'm saying all those peas. Anyway, I'm Jules. I'm joined by my co-host, Chev. Yo. And Oak. Yo. Mixed it up for you guys because we ain't got Eric today. So it's just the three of us, the, three, the tripod. And uh, <laughs> we are, of course, a longtime playgroup during the multiverse in the hopes of leveling up both our game and and yours but first let's talk about the new cards let's talk about the shiny new shiny new toys we got to play with chev what did we see in the stream today well today we saw the uh introduction of crimson vow the second fall set of 2021 um and with a slightly more vampire twist than we saw with midnight hunt which was more werewolves both sets take place on innistrad we got a, a breakdown for the booster fun, which we get with the showcase streams, all the different types of cards that we're going to get. A few a few spoilers, but as for the, the booster fun initiatives and stuff, you know, the set booster, collector booster, all that, they've kept it quote unquote simple for us this time. Uh, it's going to be the same as Midnight Hunt. So you've got the same sort of uh, black and white style cards. You've got, instead of the werewolves getting fancy treatments, it's the vampires. Uh, and then some Bram Stoker book dracula stuff kind of in the same style that we saw from godzilla earlier uh except these are a public domain property so it probably was a little bit easier for magic to get that one going didn't have to shell out the big bucks for that one no bram stoker is probably dead considering the book came out in 1897 um unless he he knew something we don't well maybe he was a vampire it's true it was an autobiography <laughs> maybe that's how he knew about it yeah exactly he's, dra- he's drac- biography. uh yeah so Crimson Vow, kind of a, a sister, brother, you know, sibling set to Midnight Hunt. Um, we also got, once again, confirmation that uh, they will be releasing Innistrad Double Feature, which is a, mm-hmm. a draft environment in which these two are paired up. Looking at the mechanics, there is a lot of cross-play between what's going on. So a few returning mechanics. Uh, first of all, Disturb, which was in Midnight Hunt. So when a creature dies, it is in the graveyard. You can then cast it for its Disturbed cost, and it will come in on its backside. Once again, we're doing that. It looks like it's going to be primarily in that uh, blue-white niche. But now we are not only having creatures come back as creatures, but we're having creatures come back as other types of permanents, most, you know, uh, prominently, we saw a legend that comes back as a aura. They're continuing to kind of push that space. I really like that. I uh, I think that's a nice way to move with those dual face cards as opposed from the just sheer chaos that we saw with MDFCs earlier in the year. Uh, we also have the day-night cycle is back. So um, we did not get any werewolves today, but there will be werewolves. Um, hopefully they will be a little bit better than they were in, in Midnight Hunt because let me tell you, I got 
wrecked in draft when I tried to play werewolves a few times. Uh, but yeah, day night's there. And then we also have a returning, a returning mechanic in that it's not a new mechanic, and that's exploit. So this is uh, whenever uh, a creature with exploit enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice a creature, which could be, actually be that creature if you wanted, and you will get some effect. That was actually originally from Khan's block, so got a, got a little uh, spot in my heart. But I think that's going to be very strong when we get that Innistrad double feature because now you can just exploit all those decayed zombies that you have lying around and... Uh, get down to some real shenanigans. But we also got a few new mechanics as well. First one being training. So if you guys remember, uh, I believe it was one of the guilds of Ravnica blocks. Uh, they had Boros. a mentor. Boros in uh, Ravnica Allegiance? Or, or was it guild, the whatever that fall set was? I believe that was guilds of Ravnica, yeah. Yeah. Um, so now we have training, which is whenever a creature with training attacks and there is a creature that is attacking with it that has a higher power the creature with training gets it so it's basically just the counterpart to that mentor mechanic and then they also will have things like whenever this trains get an effect we have a, a mythic rare that has training and then whenever it trains you get to exile a creature from the battlefield you, you get to hit it, get it with the uh like the banisher priest effect so we'll see some training and then there's also cleave which this i think is one of the most like fourth wall breaking weird mechanics that we've had in a while so cleave says um you'll have a spell and then you'll have a cleave cost so the card i'm looking at is dig up it's a single green for a sorcery but it's got a cleave cost of one black black green and then um it says search your library for a basic land card reveal it put it into your hand but there are words in the text box that have brackets around them and basically if you play the cleave cost you cast the spell discounting the words with brackets around it so this one instead of saying search your library for a basic land card reveal it put it in your hand this says just search your library for a card put it into your hand so basic land and reveal it have brackets around them this is not the most user-friendly mechanic i would say it's kind of just just weird but i think it has the ability to get uh pretty broken it kind of reminds me of overload um from guilds of ravnica oh sorry were you gonna say that yeah, it's all right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, where it's basically yeah, just ahead. like instead of one target, you get to target everything. This is like just chains words on cards. Screw yeah, it, it, it seems like a, a different approach on that cycle of cards we saw from Ikoria, the the Mythos cards. I don't know if you guys remember that, but like yep. the Mythos of Nethroi was like destroy target creature unless green or white was used to cast the spell, then destroy permanent or something. It, it had a similar style where it was like, Paying the one cost gives you an effect with restrictions while paying the cost of the three colors involved in that creature um, gives you a greater effect. And I know that those were considered clunky and a little bit weird. So this seems to be a different take on that style. It also feels very digital first. Like you you have this card in your hand, uh, you pay its cleave cost, it'll go on the stack and just show that text. It's it's really like the, the cognitive load is going to be more on paper. I feel. Um, so yeah. that could be interesting to see if this is the first of many or, or touching the waters, uh, if it could be an MDFC thing. But I think it is a pretty interesting way to build things, um, especially this example as well, kind of leading with a diabolic tutor that can also be a lay of the land as well. Seems like a pretty solid staple for any Golgari uh, EDH deck. Jeff, I don't know if you meant to just say that when you said it, it would pair well with, you know, dual face cards. But now I'm just thinking if there was like a permanent uh, probably a creature but any sort of permanent that had a cleave cost and it said if you pay the cleave put it in on like its backside or something mm -hmm. that would be interesting and that's the that's of course that would be the only way to get it on its backside 
Um, but I imagine, yeah, like the cleave is when this comes into the battlefield or whatever, transform. I guess, like, <laughs> no, maybe, maybe since cleave is like removing text, it would be the front side is the good side and the back side is like the smaller creature. And so then when it enters the battlefield, transform it would be the cleave. But that'd be a ridiculous design. Very strange. Hopefully we don't see that. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I don't, I, some, some weird thing in my head said that this is only for instance and sorceries, but I think, I think that is correct. A lot of these effects that we see that are kind of like, change the total effect are one-time deals like you don't see fused cards that are creatures they create creature tokens yeah. so i think we might see one that creates like maybe one token unless you cleave it then it creates multiple or something like that but i don't think we would ever see it on a creature there's just too much to remember uh, even in digital or paper i think they wouldn't do that well anyway there's one more new mechanic and that is uh, they're introducing a new game object which is the blood token um, similar to clues foods treasures etc uh this is an artifact token um it's generated by various cards generally vampires um and then what happens is a blood has the ability uh pay a generic tap it sacrifice it and then you discard a card draw a card so these just kind of enable you to do some filtering and then there's also various cards that care about either you sacrificing blood tokens or having a certain number amount of uh, a certain number of them uh, like we've seen with treasures and clues in the past so i like game objects more game objects and uh, also you know this is kind of a, a nice way to provide a little bit of extra you know card maneuverability especially in limited uh, with the blood tokens mm -hmm. uh, other than that those are all the mechanics that we have confirmed which that's six so that's crazy uh, if you count cards being able to flip that's seven i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that we're probably gonna have a few flashback cards probably some cards that deal with clues and also maybe things that create decayed zombies as well just because we already had those in midnight hunt so in terms of the gameplay this set is you know stacking up to be quite complex but probably also very uh, entertaining yeah agreed well that's all i gotta say about this right now i think we can uh well we definitely will be talking about all the cards and stuff uh in a few weeks when we have the entire uh the entire set list out but is there anything you guys wanted to mention uh no i think that's that's pretty much it uh you know this is another like full set and uh, as is new now the tradition we're gonna get two new commander decks as well uh, there's going to be a red black vampires and a blue white spirit precons that are sold at the same time um will they be as good as our elemental precons from our last week's episode probably not but you know they'll they'll put in an honest effort they wish although i'm not gonna lie that new spirits commander would go pretty good in the uh, in the air deck because we're making a lot. You're of, making those spirits. We're, we got we got some spirits. Oh yeah, dude. There's a bunch of cards that make just like here's two or three spirit tokens. Yada yada yada. <laughs> you know, and they they fly. So, all right. So that's Crimson Bow. We're gonna be talking about that a lot over the next probably month and a half or so. But in the meantime, Popper. More specifically, Popper Commander. We mean. Popper Commander, yes. Um, Oak, would you just remind the lovely people uh, what is Popper as a whole and, of course, how that then translates into Popper Commander? Yes. So Popper is a format where you have access to the uh, entire entirety of Magic's uh, history worth of cards, but only the commons, or cards that have been printed at common. So... Uh, while this means you don't have access to a lot of the sort of more busted spells, you still get Brainstorm, Ponder, Preordain, Lightning Bolt, Delver of Secrets, etc. Um, how this sort of translates into a 
EDH-like format is that uh, you play with sort of, you know, free-for-all, kind of like you would normal EDH game. Everyone starts with 30 life instead of 40, since on the whole the creatures are a bit smaller. You have 100 cards, uh, 99 of them are going to be cards that were printed at common at one point, and then your commander is any creature that has been printed at uncommon, regardless of whether or not it's legendary. Yeah, so just overall good old EDH fun, but less shenanigans generally and lower power level. Also way cheaper. Um, oh yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah, so uh, what we've done today is we have been putting out popper content for a bit, um, and you know we've seen a, a lot of other content creators out there, and what we decided to do was we wanted to check around the community and just kind of outsource some decks and um, play with them because we have you know game night every week, so we want to play with them, and then we figured we'd uh, talk about them, talk about you know what we liked, what we didn't like, and uh, kind of if you're looking to get into popper EDH, uh, how you can translate all of your favorite EDH stuff into things like these decks that we uh, that we got. So, boys, what'd you guys find? So, uh, off of our article that we posted last week, which was um, five undervalued equipment in Popper Commander, I, I mentioned a bit about Thieves Tools, which is an equipment from AFR over the summer that you equip it on a creature with power three or less, and that creature becomes unblockable. And it creates a treasure on entry for two mana. So, pretty solid. I suggested it with... Azra, Oddsmaker, uh, which is the ability, it's a three mana, three, three, the ability, discard a card at the beginning of combat, target creature you control when it deals combat damage this turn, draw two cards. So I thought, perfect for Azra, you know, you you get in, you get that consistent card draw, and one of the members of the, the subreddit, Alcadron, commented saying that they had a very different Azra Oddsmaker build, based more around sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of blocking shenanigans. So... It looked like a really cool deck. I, I jumped on it. I asked them if I could uh, use that deck on our pod and had a great time with it. Um, yeah, I couldn't decide between... Or, well, I couldn't decide on a single deck. So uh, for the two games we got to play on game night, I picked two different decks. Uh, the first one is a uh, Rakdos Turbo Fog deck. And I know that sounds like an oxymoron, uh, but... Uh, this deck was created by uh, RNR underscore gaming, uh, and uh, well, I mean, I guess a little bit later in the pod we'll get into more uh, how that's even a possibility. <laughs> um, the second one is called Killed by a Closet, and I know you're just waiting to see what the helm of this commander was, but it is a sort of artifact-themed deck by uh, someone named Critical Failure. Classic. Yeah, and then I was playing a... Uh partner partner deck lay weaver and lore weaver they have the partners with from uh, battle mod uh, and that was uh, i actually found that deck i was looking around the youtubes and i found this group called the dark confidence which love the naming scheme as, as a fellow group that is named after a magic card uh, we support it and uh, these guys uh they've put out a few gameplay videos of popper edh which is great they have just uh, a nice nice high quality overlay uh good deck building good gameplay I like Samic shenanigans. I like uh, playing playing Who lands and, and, and drawn cards. Shocker. So so uh, this is from uh, it's it's it was on the Dark Confidence YouTube channel, but the creator of the deck was C underscore Dingo on uh, Moxfield, and I reached out to uh, them and they said, "Heck yeah, brother, play the deck. Let me know how it goes." So, uh, well, spoilers went pretty well for me. There was also a uh, Killian in the pod. I d I don't know where where Eric sourced his, um, but. To give you to give you an idea of also the the fourth member as well, that's true. He was playing a Killian deck, which was uh, quite 
quite powerful for reasons that we'll get to. I also, I played a second deck for a second game. Uh, that was from Metal Rain on Tapped Out. Rain is R-A-Y-N, uh, and it is a alert heed bonder deck. Uh, Vigilance Tribal. So that was that was interesting, but I'm mostly going to mention this uh, Lay Weaver, Lore Weaver. Um, <laughs> and why why will you mostly mention this Lay Lore Weaver deck, Julian? Uh, first, I figured we should go through the decks and kind of just discuss what they're what they're doing. A few key cards, um, kind of mm-hmm. the general ideas, so that people have uh, you know the lay of the land, right, if you right. will. Do you see what I did there? Because Lay Weaver. Yep. Anyway, uh, and then we'll talk about what actually happened in the games. Um, so I'll go first. Thanks. Thanks for uh, le- letting me go. There. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lay Weaver, Lore Weaver. So. Both four mana creatures, two twos, uh, three and then one is a green, one is three and a blue. Uh, Lore Weaver, the blue one, has five blue blue. Target player draws two cards, and then Lay Weaver has tap it and then untap two lands. So basically, this is just Simic stuff. Um, <laughs> you're just playing lands, you're drawing cards. Like my first like four turns of the game, I just was like playing card draw spells and just chaining um and then you want to get things like absolute staples like a market festival and um uh, (laughs) wild growth uh auras that you put on your lands to make them tap for you know two or even three mana and then obviously you can use um your commander lay weaver but we've also got things like croson restorer which uh, untaps uh, a land if you tap it and then if you have threshold it actually untaps two a voyaging satyr untaps a land so just ways to generate ridiculous amounts of mana and then of course you can put that mana into your lore weaver to draw cards to get to the cards that you really want to uh you really want to get to which uh we'll talk about (laughs) but yeah it's pretty it's it's just just got a bunch of just good stuff um we've said it before but uh blue Blue has a lot of good commons, just a lot of a lot of powerful things. So, just playing a lot of those, you know, a couple counter spells, a couple bounce spells. Got a sprout swarm in there for good measure, just because you know we're making a bunch of mana. Some might say an infinite amount of mana. <laughs> we'll get to that. A um, really high amount. <laughs> an arbitrarily large amount. Yeah, yeah. So it's just yeah, it's just simic good stuff. Oak, what did you have? Because you're you're talking about Rakdos Turbo Fog, and I, I <laughs> that that doesn't compute. Yeah, so um, if you guys recall, around the time Kaldheim was released, uh, there was a commander I said I was probably the most excited for, despite him being at Uncommon. And the cool thing about Pauper EDH is that you get to play these legendary creatures that are just as viable in EDH as they are in PDH, which I know Julian has got that Tatiova, uh, you know. Yeah. Tatiova's oh, a special <laughs> case. Yep. A problem child, some might say. <laughs> Yeah, so in sort of a similar vein, uh, what we have here in this deck is Carter, uh, the Doom Scourge, the uh, the Doom Krieger, as some might know him as. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I think actually once you know who the commander is, the sort of name starts to uh, explain itself a little bit better. Turbo Fog. This is not Fog in the traditional sense where... Uh, nothing deals combat damage. Uh, it is fog in the red-black sense, where nothing deals combat damage to you because you're constantly goading all of your opponent's creatures uh, into attacking each other. Uh, in fact, you are forcing them to do so with uh, Carter's ETB. And uh, very much so like the Grey Merchant of Asphodel deck I wrote an article on not too long ago, uh, you are really looking to abuse ETB triggers in black by having uh, effects that, like, unnatural endurance that uh, make your creature come back, like, if it were to die this turn, and then spells like uh, Village Rites that can, you can play to just sacrifice a creature. So you play Carter, 
you go to everything, maybe you wait a turn cycle, you uh, maybe play like one of these like auras or spells that make him come back as soon as he dies, you sacrifice him, draw some cards, get that ETB trigger again. It's a fun time. For real. <laughs> Everybody coming to the party. Yep. And would you uh, play game two? Uh, right. So game two, uh, Killed by a Closet. This was not quite as uh, exciting of a commander, I, I think, but uh, it had the card Skilled Animator from, I believe, Commander Legends. And what this card does is that it is a three-mana artificer, uh, mono blue as well, which is, I know, very out of my lane, but... Uh, when it enters the battlefield, you get to pick an artifact you control, and for as long as you control a skilled animator, it is a 5-5 creature uh, in addition to its other types. So uh, we got into some weird uh, rules, sort of ideas, <laughs> once I animated my Viridian Longbow <laughs> and gave it Vigilance, and was thinking, what if I were to equip my Longbow to something? Would I be able to use the Longbow's ability? Would it stop being a creature? Would I be able to attack with it? Uh, I don't know. Unfortunately, none of that was ever really put into practice because um, the deck was, for a mono blue deck, a little bit short on draw spells. <laughs> uh, and so I think I had a string of about six turns in a row where I had this longbow equipped with, like, two or three equipments. Uh, it was like a 514 at that point with Vigilance. <laughs> and I was just drawing island after island after island, doing nothing but uh, swinging at uh, the player with the most life every turn, and then sort of just having this giant blocker in the way. Yeah, that's for sure. That was, uh, well, 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 we'll get to that. But yeah, that was uh, interesting, to say the least. Chad, what were you working with? So uh, as I, I mentioned kind of at the top, I was working with an Azra Oddsmaker deck. So... We're caring a lot about, you know, getting through, hopefully drawing those cards, but the, this deck really focused on the trying to attack with creatures and make your opponents guess if you had kind of a, a trick or something to put them in bad blocking situations. Now, I don't think I ever got this this fully up and running in, in that style. Uh, most of my value came from, I think it was Douthy uh, Slayer? Slayer. It was a 2-2 two, two for 2 with Shadow. Uh, so it, it got in pretty easily. There's not many decks that run creatures with shadow. Uh, but uh, to walk to give you an idea of what the deck is really supposed to be doing, I'll walk you through the beautiful primer that um, Alcadron laid out on his on the Moxfield deck. So step one, have some decent read aggressive two drops. Uh, these would be things like Immolating Soul Eater, Blood Crazy Neonate, or uh, the Douthy Slayer I mentioned. Um, step two, have some trample combat tricks in the deck. Not necessarily in your hand, just in the deck. And you're kind of hoping that your opponents are wondering, like, do they have it? Do they not? This would be things like Fist of Flame or Team or Battle Rage. Things that you either kind of go over the top of your opponents with Trample or Double Strike to kind of beat trades that your opponents thought they had easily. Step three, attack and watch people agonize over the terrible decisions they have to make. And step four, profit, probably. So that is kind of the idea of the deck. And then we have a, a wealth of Madness cards as well in Flashback kind of taking advantage of some of these discard triggers off Oddsmaker to be slinging things like Dark Withering, which six mana destroy target non-black creature, but its madness cost is one. Or Fiery Temper, which is a lightning bolt if you madness cost it. So a lot of cool things going on. Really cool sort of card advantage in red-black, which was fun. Uh, and really just trying to get in there and beat face aggressively. Uh, well, I can tell you, you definitely did that. And uh, <laughs> Azra Oddsmaker... They were putting in the work, drawing the cards, and the the madness was certainly not negligible. That was a madness very was powerful fun. part of your game plan. Real quick, Eric, 
Uh, he was playing a Killian deck. So Killian is a, a black and white for a 2-2. Two -two. It's got lifelink and menace. And then it also has this little line of text that says, spells that target a creature cost two less to cast. That's any creature. So whether you want to suit up your Killian with a bunch of auras and just go to town because he's got menace and lifelink, uh, or you just want to kill something for way cheaper than normal. Yeah, that deck, uh, that deck did what it needed to do. Let's just say that. Decent amount of uh, exploit as well to kind of round it out. Uh, the old school sort of drain three, gain three. Yeah, there was a... I don't know if there was supposed to be a life life gain sub-theme in that deck, but Eric was consistently at like 50 life. And... <laughs> we definitely did more than 60 damage to Eric combined. Oh, I think Douthy yeah. Slayer might have done at least 40 of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chet, you drew like half your deck just off Douthy hitting him every turn. Yep, we were, we were down to about 50 by the time I, I was punted from the game uh, that game yeah. too which we'll kind of get into because uh so some of you who may be new to pdh uh or kind of just testing the scene out there are two of the commanders that have been mentioned that have a larger presence in the competitive popper uh format it just so happens they also won both of our games um the <laughs> first game was won by lay lore weaver uh and why don't you tell us about some of those combo lines julian because i think it was about turn five or six when uh, our first game abruptly came to an end. <laughs> yeah, so, like I said, Lay Lore Reaver, I'm kind of just chilling, playing lands, you know, put a couple auras on my lands so that I could tap for extra mana. But yeah, my first few turns was just like, oh, I'll just play like this this 4C, I'll play like this, you know, this Preordain and this Ponder, kind of hang out. I played like an Arbor Elf so I, I could get cute. I was like, oh, I'll untap my land that has the uh, the thing. And then as I was just like drawing through cards and like, you know, doing things, playing... uh. Poor, poor man's impulse, which is a shimmer of possibility. Uh, you know all the all the classics. Um, I just realized, wow, I I think this goes infinite. Uh, yeah. So what I found was um, in the deck there is freed from the real, which is a uh, aura that you can put on a creature and it gives it the ability uh, just uh, tap a blue, untap this creature, or tap a blue, tap it. Um, but you want to be untapping. Um, and then there's also <laughs> uh, galvanic. Alchemist? Yes, Galvanic Alchemist, which is uh, also two and a blue for a soul bond creature that uh, as long as it's paired, each of those creatures have two and a blue untap this creature. So um, when you have a creature like your commander, Layweaver, that can untap up to two target lands, and then if you happen to have you know two lands that have enchantments on them, so you're generating more than three mana. Or just freed from the real and your commander, and then you don't even need to worry about enchantments. That's true. I did not have freed from the real. I got the uh, Galvanic Alchemist, so it was a little bit more difficult for me um, than <laughs> is possible. But yeah, all of a sudden you have uh, infinite mana, and then I was like, well, shoot, what do I do with this? I had a Sprout Swarm in my hand. I was like, oh, well, I guess I can make infinite tokens and then hope that I don't get wrathed or something, which was kind of a silly concern considering there's not many real wraths in popper but then eric kindly reminded me that uh i could just play my other commander lore weaver and uh draw my deck and i was like i don't even need to draw my deck because it says target player so i can just mill all of you guys out and you know i kind of just fumbled myself into a uh, into the wind just kind of just kind of fell across the finish line uh as they <laughs> would so i uh i retired the deck after that because the boys were like hmm nice yeah I, I, like, I don't think anything I was like, yep. ever <laughs> kind of made me feel like oh there could actually be a sophisticated difference at least that i've experienced between kind of competitive popper and regular popper than seeing a deck that can go off that quickly and i'm sure that there are other decks that are considered you know normal in this this kind of like bridging space opening up the divide between the two uh that could kind of go off that quickly but just seeing the sheer power of having one of your combo pieces in the command zone of course because you only need 
Lay Weaver on the field. It doesn't matter how many times Lore Weaver's been cast. You have infinite mana. And it's always an accessible piece of the combo. So at the end of the day, you really only need, you know, a free from the reel and enough mana to cast Lay Weaver. And uh, you can probably do it in the same turn. So it's a very powerful ability that makes for a very powerful deck. Uh, I'm sure there are some lists. And I, I did look at Julian's, uh, the list that he pulled rather quickly. And I thought, you know, maybe maybe it just has the one combo, right? Like we saw it with Galvanic Alchemist. That's like, you know, a five card combo once you get the, the land enchantments. But no, it's, you know, playing freed from the reel as well. It's making no, <laughs> it, it's, it's making sure you know it's doing it for the combo. I was just going to say, I think this is also like a very unassuming combo because I know... Mm. I don't know about, like, Chev, but I, I feel like I was very focused on the, like, immediate threat that Killian... Right. That I was, you know, staring down with Killian on the other side of the table. So, like, as soon as Killian came out, I was like, I'm going to kill that with yep. my, you know, removal spell or whatever. And I'm ashamed to admit that I uh, didn't... Had a lightning bolt in hand the turn Julian went off, but not the mana to cast it. Because I was like, there's no way this deck's just going to win next turn. <laughs> and it did! <laughs> we knew Killian was powerful going in. And so, in game one, there was a lot of attention drawn to Killian. Because, of course... In Pauper, you have expensive effects for a lot of mana. And then you take two from that and you get more moderately costed effects. And Killian was still like putting a threat on the table that we constantly dealt with. And we let Lay Lore Weaver kind of sit. And while we certainly wouldn't do that again, um, it, it definitely was a sleep hitter, uh, but just just as powerful. I, I didn't realize it was competitive until I saw a gameplay video where where they were included uh, right before right before we, we had our own game night. And I was like, huh, Julian. Not only are you playing Simic, you're playing a competitive uh, couple commanders. That's that's an interesting that's an interesting choice. Yeah, I mean, I did I did uh, I didn't realize it was as I saw some cards in it when I looked at it, and when I <laughs> I was like I was like oh that's like you know like Peregrine Drake it's just a good card, but like also <laughs> it what? can get it can, it can be uh, it can be used it can be used for evil, but um. I was like, and then... When, and of course, the, Julian would never think about using these cards for evil. He's always been a, a good a good user of Simic Colors hey, hey, drawing hey, listen, cards. Listen, no, I, I do, I do want, I want to say a few... One, one, I will say, I was lucky that, yeah, no one was really, like, focusing on my creatures. I think that it could be easy to interrupt this, because obviously you can just kill Lore Weaver before she, um, you know, is not summoning sick, or you can swipe something out from under under me while i'm trying to do it i was lucky enough that when i went off yeah no one had touched any of my pieces and also i believe everyone was like completely tapped out once again like i said i kind of just like drew galvanic alchemist and was like wait a minute one plus one equals two and then two plus two and then and then you know obviously it went from there <laughs> and it's like in a limit of like two as it approaches infinity <laughs> it's like oh wow <laughs> it's infinity <laughs> divide by zero <laughs> oh also chev i will say shout out to uh alcadron i found he also has a uh lay in lore weaver list on uh tapped out that i was i was looking at i did not change the list that i pulled from the dark confidence um but this this list from alcatron is also a pretty strong he's he, he looks like he puts in work but yeah no once again it was not labeled as cpdh so i was like oh it's like it's fine like obviously it's simic so it's gonna do stupid simic things but i didn't yeah, how the, the speed <laughs> the speed the speed was what really got yeah me. just like in in regular edh People win by combos all the time, but usually it's like turn 10 and it's like, okay, mm. we've gone through like half of our deck and like everyone's expended a bunch of resources and I just happened to like assemble my, my two or three cards and now I'm in. But this was just like, nope, we're just going. <laughs> so I really love the deck, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely I, powerful. I, I put it, uh, I, I, I put it away for the second game for a reason. <laughs> 
And that second game, I think, is really where we got to to see the decks in action. So while while Azra did manage to get online the first game, and I, I got to use the ability once or twice, uh, the second game is where I drew half my deck, was constantly discarding down to to hand size. I think there's a good chance I've never drawn more cards in a single commandered game than I did with Azra, uh, since I'm never usually playing blue. And then this is in red-black, so, th- so that was pretty interesting. Uh, personally, Douthy Slayer dealt so much damage with Shadow and is probably the reason I drew all of those cards. And it made me think, you know, if I'm ever going to make an Azra deck, because I've been interested in Azra before. It seems like a really cool ability and, and less, you know, one of the uh, card draw commanders like Tatiova or um, Seder Enchanter, where it's like, you draw a card no matter what. You know, you, you do X, you draw a card. And that, that formula doesn't really interest me as much as something like this, where it's, you know, You'll, you'll replace your card and you'll draw a card, but there's that added step that you kind of have to mechanically build around. So it's always been interesting. And, and the power of Douthy Slayer really made me think, if I'm going to build this myself one day, it'll definitely focus less on the make opponents get into bad situations to block and more on the sneaking through. Because at least in our game, with, with Oakley's uh, large 514 Viridian bow, uh, Eric's Killian, that was always rather large, and Julian's deck, which had some pretty big Vigilance creatures, there was not many situations where I could actively throw a creature into that and trade even with something that gave Double Strike. The heart of the cards wasn't with me with that strategy. Douthy Slayer was putting in an amazing amount of work. Extort was the bane of its existence. But <laughs> the, the last thing I want to shout out is, is Hellmongrel, which is a card from, I believe, Modern Horizons 2. It has a discard a card activated ability. Which, with a deck that's running a lot of madness things, is incredible. So you get Azra every turn allowing you to discard a card for that madness cost. And you get Hell Mongrel allowing you to do it at instant speed whenever you want. Um, which is very, very powerful when you can kind of hold up this kill spell for its madness cost. Especially something like Dark Withering that you allow to destroy something for a single black mana. Uh, and you don't have to cast it right on your turn. And you can even use it to flash in quote-unquote uh, flash in blockers or things like that that kind of get around the normal timing restrictions because you're playing them at madness speed. So absolute all-star. Modern Horizon sets are easily what I think one of the best things for Pauper Commander in recent memory. I had a ton of fun. I was also kicked out first, and then I got to go do something else, which these boys did not have the uh, privilege of doing. <laughs> I was going to say, there's, <laughs> there's a reason why this damn game took so long. It's because somebody who's not here just decided they wanted to gain a million life. And Chev, I, I actually, I loved your deck. It was sick. Um, I think what you really need is to put like some infect in there so that when Eric's at 65 life and popper, you can just be like, <laughs> doesn't freaking matter. Get out of here. Still <laughs> ping it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Your, your deck put in a lot of work and I consistently wanted to be like, hello, can we, um, can we kill Azra Oddsmaker? And I wanted to say that a bunch of times, but I was just like, it's just, it's just not correct because we're playing arch enemy against Eric's like seven, seven menace lifelinking Killian. And it just doesn't matter. (laughs) It was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think this is one of the few games of magic I played where I was just, where I could ever say like, man, I wish someone had a board wipe. So this game could go faster. Uh, because (laughs) there, there just was not enough removal amongst like, Julian's green white deck, my mono blue at the time deck. I mean, pretty much it was mostly Chev that was throwing around removal spells, but like just didn't have enough because you could just keep yeah. replaying Killian and replaying more creatures with extort and replaying more vigilance flyers in Julian's case. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the big thing there is with with Popper Commander, something we've noticed is like the value of any given drawn card 
is likely to be less. So you you can end up in these long patches where in a regular game of EDH, you know, you draw a Wrath of God in one of those turns. You draw a Blasphemous Act or something between the other three people at the table. But here, each draw is less likely to have an effect. And I know I, I was really trying to sling the um, the removal spells, but the problem I ran up against was I had Cast Down at one point. That's Destroy Target Non-Legendary Creature. Killian doesn't apply. Dark Witherings, Destroy Target Non-Black Creature. Killian doesn't apply. <laughs> and then with all of the um, in- enchantments, I had uh, a flashback card a Rakdos flashback destroy target creature with toughness three or less and that also doesn't help against a seven seven so i was i was running out of options like a murder would have been fantastic but i think this deck was really focused on the spells that can kind of capitalize on the ability and i definitely could have been more aggressive in the opening game which is what the build of this deck was kind of relying on and instead i kind of took it back and did not push the advantage as much and that stops the deck from really functioning in the way that it's supposed to yeah I mean, one thing that we've noticed across all our games of Popper is that, like, simultaneously combat is way more important. And also combat can get slowed down to, like, a halt slash, like, a just a board stall, you know, mm-hmm. twice as fast. Which is just when Eric attacks, someone chumps or or just has a 514 and blocks, you know, he gains seven life. Then over the course of three turns, we hit him back for, like, eight life. Eric does another thing. <laughs> he is net positive, yeah. We, we literally played that, like, merry-go-round, like, that just, like, game of cat and mouse for, like, a half hour straight. You know what I mean? It was just, like, how do we do this? And then he also had a bunch of enchantments that said, like, when Killian dies, return it to the battlefield. So he, like, he just could keep going. It was certainly interesting. I just I just was over here with my, my Vigilance boys. The only reason I lived that long was because I kept gaining, like, three or four life a turn from uh, Alert Heedbonder. Otherwise, I would have been out a bunch of times because Eric was Eric was gunning for me. Yeah, hey, I'm my vigilance boy too. Let's not forget about him. <laughs> yeah, you're what was it? You equipped it with a shield that was like plus O plus six in vigilance? Yep, and then uh I gave it like Cathar's shield for another plus O plus three in vigilance. Actually yeah the, the plus O plus six was Slygorm armor and that doesn't give mm. vigilance but the, gotcha. the shield does. So um yeah. <laughs> kind of unfortunate that there doesn't seem to be like a whole lot of like board stall breakers in mm-hmm. Popper that can make things hard but I guess you know sometimes you you find a way yeah sometimes you just I, got a diving griffin and you can just fly <laughs> over everybody pig. yeah there was there was countless times too I was thinking about killing uh Oaks Commander because I did have that destroy target creature with toughness three or less sitting in my graveyard I constantly kept the mana open uh but the the giant Viridian longbow never came at me and it never seemed like the right move because someone always had like 20 more life you know, in certain circumstances, you could say something like, it makes sense to take out the player that is most easily kind of destroyed, like whether that be Julian or Oakley in that particular game. But then that means Eric is going to be swinging at me with his 7-7 with Menace and Life. Like, and, he, and that is how I ended up dying. So it would be hard for me to be like, no, take out these other targets, put a giant bullseye on my own forehead, more than it already was. Uh, so there was a countless times where I was like, you know, these removal spells, while I could use them, do not benefit me at this point. It certainly was... I don't want to say that people were playing a lot of politics, but it certainly was like one of the most cooperative games that we've had in a while. <laughs> we were yeah. like, oh, well, Eric did another thing, so I guess we got to get him. And then Oak was just like, all right, now all of a sudden I got this big thing. So we were like, oh, pu- punch Oak for one second. And then Chev did a thing. So we we're like, all right, punch Chev for a second. <laughs> I think I was the I was really the only one who no one was ever like, oh, we got to go we got to go mess up Julian until Eric was just like, all right, I've had enough of this. And he, he hit me with lethal commander damage. 
<laughs> which was uh i think if uh if killian ever gets if if we continue like hypothetically you know we're playing these decks in a pod there are the one type of wrath there is in pdh is green board uh enchantment removal and a hundred percent I would slot that into any deck I could if Killian was making a presence on these games because auras are incredibly powerful in PDH. We're going to be talking about some of them. Um, we, we did talk about some of them in the article that is going to come out in the future, but in the past from when this podcast releases, uh, some of them being the, the black auras that kind of regenerate your creature. Uh, super, super useful. The ones that Oakley was mentioning earlier with Carter and the... Uh, uh, the the idea of the turbo fog where you keep bringing the creature back so all of those things you wipe the board of enchantments you get rid of a lot of stuff even any of the like frogify the deep freeze most of the ways that blue can deal with creatures as well gone so that's definitely something i would consider slotting in if you're having a problem with auras in your your pod or like uh faith's fetters which was used to great effect on my golem foundry very early on which was a damn shame because I played so many artifacts and probably would have had like three golems. Not that those golems would have done much, but that's definitely They're fun a to have, man. You got your tools. <laughs> yeah. I like golems. They're you know, cool. Yeah. Yeah, golem foundry is a fun card, but it, it was it was defiled. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> we talked about the games. Let's uh let's talk a little bit about these decks. Um we have seen the community, so we know that the PDH community is a small community, but uh, it's growing, and we think it's a worthwhile format. So if you're an EDH player, given that maybe you like XYZ deck or whatever, what is going to get you uh, to kind of transition into that that pauper space? What 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 are these kind of the parallels parallels of, and uh, what sort of things are we doing that are you know just as nice as an EDH? Yeah, so I would say um, for for Ezra. Odds maker. Uh, if you kind of picked up on some of these themes of madness and flashback and stuff, a very recent parallel you could make is with Anya Falconrath uh, from the, I believe, C19 set of commander decks. Um, mm-hmm. Anya is tap, discard a card, draw a card. If the card you discard had madness, untap. Um, stats, mana cost, irrelevant. I don't remember them. But the main thing is you can just chain together madness spell after madness spell. And while Azra has kind of a few more uh, caveats to it, that is a very direct parallel you can see in terms of how you're building this deck. You're trying to capitalize on sending things to your graveyard, kind of working outside the bounds of normal casting. Um, potentially, if you really got into a Seder Tribal from Theros Beyond Death, Galia of the Endless Dance um, could be something to directly convert into an Ezra Oddsmaker. That is... When you attack with, I think, three or more satyrs, uh, discard a card and then draw a card, something like it's that. It's just uh, just creatures. Just creatures. Sweet. Yeah. So, you know, swing with three creatures, uh, discard and draw, which you can see, but obviously those aren't the colors, green and red, um, that are best suited for Madness, which has been Rakdos for most of its entirety. So I'm thinking more of the On Your Falconrath players. The strategy works incredibly well to just kind of take it down to the PDH level, find your all-stars like the uh, Hellmongrel, dark withering like fiery temper and you're going to be doing the same sort of stuff a lot of card advantage a lot of playing at crazy speeds you can get kind of more into the discard and draw with effects like scourge familiar and rummaging goblin uh those are kind of going to be one-off but similar effects to what anya is doing and you could finally finish it off with some some cycling or discard uh payoff cards mainly horror of the broken lands which gets bigger with each card discarded this turn and grisly survivor which gets indestructible so a couple cool things out there. Um, when, when I had Hellmongrel out, the game felt very technical in terms of choosing when to play these cards, like what's worth holding on to. And it felt 
just like a regular EDH game for me, where I was kind of making these high level threats and it wasn't kind of like top decking or anything. I constantly had a full grip, was constantly evaluating what was going on. And while it didn't work out for me, it still felt very powerful in terms of, you, you didn't feel like you were taking a step back by removing the rares and uncommons from your card pool. Hell yeah, dude. Um, I mean, for me, I, I, I just wrote down a few points. Uh, you're going to like this sort of deck, you know, obviously lay lore weaver, um, but something in that vein, if, uh, if you like decks that are like grindy, uh, a little, little dirtily, if you just like to chug along on that value train, you're going to love this deck. Um, if you're a Johnny, which, uh, you know, that the psychographics of magic players, um, Timmy, Spike, Johnny, if you're a Johnny, like I am, you're going to love this deck. It's kind of almost, it's, it's almost like a Rube Goldberg machine in terms of like having to sequence both your taps and your untaps. But also if you're going to be doing any sort of like, um, mild tutoring or, uh, trying to either chain for uh, a combo or an answer, uh, trying to work those things out. Generally, you're not going to get as lucky as I did. So <laughs> if you, if you like <laughs> that sort of uh, that sort of gameplay um, and just kind of like stuff like that, you're going to like it. And also um, if you like combo decks and you're like, uh, I'm just going to play a much less uh, powerful, less consistent combo deck. Um, and also this is not as uh, glass cannony as a lot of combo decks. If you were playing the higher levels of EDH or even CEDH, I would say. Um, this deck feels pretty resistant, uh, resilient, even though it does win mainly by combo, it just kind of does a lot of things and can kind of rebuild really quickly. I would say so if you like those sort of things, this is definitely a deck for you. Um, if you are playing, uh, like a Tatiova deck, if you just like Simic draw cards and do things, uh, this is for you. Also, if you are playing any sort of Kaidel deck, so uh, Kaidel something, Krufix something, um, taps for amount of mana equal to cards drawn this turn, that's very similar because you're already going to be messing around with a lot of, one, just drawing a lot of cards to generate a bunch of mana and vice versa, and then doing a lot of untap, tap shenanigans, probably generating infinite mana um, with Kaidel. This is kind of just a, a build-your-own version of that. And then also, I've seen and heard rumblings of an Estrid deck. You guys know Estrid the Mass, the Bant uh, Enchantment Planeswalker. Um, there are a lot of decks that actually use her ability of untap all your enchanted permanents to make a bunch of mana with auras like I was using in the deck, you know, Market Festival, uh, Utopia Sprawl, those sort of things. So if you have an Estra deck and you want to um, get rid of white because, of course, white's the worst color and you want to play uh, creatures instead of planeswalkers, um, that's kind of a, a very similar sort of thing you can um, make, I guess, a less combo-y version and maybe just a more, I want to make a bunch of mana and then maybe play like a big hurricane or something. And then lastly, I think you could you could almost kind of, if you like storm decks, you could almost call this a storm deck because, you know, you generate a bunch of mana. It's kind of like just playing a bunch of rituals almost, except they're just your lands and you're tapping and untapping. And then we got all the busted blue uh, popper cards like Merchant Scroll, uh, anything with Transmute. This deck has two cards that have Wizard Cycling. Can you believe that? Wizard Cycling. <laughs> so that you well, can to get, get your... a Galvanic Alchemist as a wizard, right? Yep, him, or you can get um, uh, Archaeomancer. Archaeomancer, yep. And I was I was looking at the deck a little closely, closer, and uh, it's got like that. <laughs> it's got the it's got like the High Tide Ghostly Flicker bullshit. Of know? course it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it does. <laughs> I. I was listen, listen, dark confidence. I love you guys, but I was lied to. This is definitely just a CPDH deck. <laughs> maybe it's just like maybe it's like a tier two or tier two point five CPDH deck, but it's a yeah. It came out swinging. Anyway, if you like any of those sort of things, you have any of those decks, or you've always wanted to build one of those decks, but maybe you just didn't want to spring for all the uh, the expensive cards. Boom, Lay and Lore Weaver. They're the homies. All right, so I'm gonna go out on a limb 
and say, if you have a Carter EDH deck, <laughs> you're going to like Carter in PDH. <laughs> Much oh like Julian God. enjoys his Tatiova EDH deck, he enjoys Tatiova PDH. True. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. No, correct. Very correct. More, more probably realistically, though. I mean, not that Carter's a bad commander by all means, and he's definitely, you know, EDH viable in, in sort of normal play. Um, if you sort of like Queen Marchesa with these sort of politically focused mechanics, uh, where you get to sort of use, like, different mechanics like goad and um, melee and the monarchy to sort of influence who's attacking who subtly without, like, making deals like off the books <laughs> uh where 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 the rules are written in in stone in the stone tablet of magic's uh rules text uh then you'll probably enjoy carter uh because he is uh he definitely falls in, in line with that sort of thing honestly if you just hate decks that like dirtle and you want to make people attack just play carter <laughs> Julian's giving me a deranged look right now. <laughs> uh, you know, I will. I will say, I you I know. got lucky because all of my creatures are small in value, but luckily they all tap. So Oak played Oak played that, and we got goaded. And I was like, must attack if able. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, Queen Marchesa is probably just like the the main, I guess, prime example of uh the type of. Uh, player that would play this Carter deck in PDH. Um, for the other deck, Skilled Animator, um, if you maybe have a Glacian deck, because you watched our episode uh, on it uh, way way back from the start of the Hex Drinkers, uh, then I think you will enjoy Skilled Animator as well. And the reason for that is that besides just animating artifacts in the sort of like in Soul Artifact style or like an Artifact Stompy deck, uh, Skilled Animator's deck is all about playing a lot of really cheap artifacts, which is sort of reflected in the inclusion of Golem Boundary. So Glacian, actually, who, now that I'm thinking of it, happens to be an uncommon legend himself, so you could, you could even just play Glacian if you wanted to <laughs> in PDH. <laughs> Man, I'm just, I'm hitting all these today. Uh, Glacian has, Glacian's tap ability is, you know, has the exact same sort of synergies. You want as many cheap, small artifacts as possible, and regardless of what they do, and using that, you can just generate a ton of value. Maybe draw some cards, unlike, you know, kind of what I did in this deck, <laughs> at least in the <laughs> game I played it. Maybe play less islands. Less snow-covered islands. Did we figure out why they were snow-covered? Yes, I, I figured it out at the very end, it was because this Arkham's Astrolabe was in the deck, which ah. caused one snow mana. <laughs> mm. um, <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, but if you don't, if you can't afford all the snow-covered uh, you know, you lose violence. nothing by playing regular. <laughs> yeah, just play uh, prismatic, whatever. But yeah, I, I think that's pretty much the type of archetype. Heck yeah! And then, if you like any Voltron deck ever, you can play Killian. <laughs> because honestly, yeah, I was gonna say like I, I was trying to think of what would be the best comparisons. You can make the cheap shot of uh, Killian. You'll like Killian. <laughs> um, but I think two yeah. of the other good options uh, would probably be Tashiro for the ability to. Basically, you're trying to hit someone with a kill spell and then play another kill spell or get that value of constantly targeting other creatures. Or if you're feeling like you like the um, Killian sort of Voltron of attaching all those to yourself, maybe Mavinda, if you made one of those decks from Strixhaven. Mavinda is the owl that uh, allows you to cast a, I believe, instant or sorcery from your graveyard for zero uh, if it targets a creature you control. Otherwise, pay eight. 
Um, so it, it doesn't completely remove the possibility of, of killing your opponent's things. But this idea of kind of like repeatedly casting on your creature itself, I think would be pretty good. But yeah, Voltron's another great example of, of what we ended up against. <laughs> yeah. And also, you generally don't see Voltron in black-white. So mm-hmm. if you That's like true. Voltron, but you want to try a different color combo out. So, and, and, and if those ideas weren't kind of enough to convince you of why you should give PDH a try, like a lot of your favorite decks have parallels. You can jump down. You can even check out one of our older articles uh, where we go into some of the, the other easy comparisons between top EDH commanders and their PDH compatriots. There's also another big reason, and that's money. Money. <laughs> we all have money. We all like playing Magic, so we have far less money than we would otherwise. If, for example, you have a deck, you made it at the beginning of the pandemic, it stops you from playing with a lot of paper decks, and it's just kind of sat there for six months, you 100% could sell that deck, make four decent PDH decks, buy a pizza, and have your friends over. All for the same price. PDH decks are dirt cheap, even the ones that we ended up playing. Weavers, that deck that uh, Julian was uh, one in, in five turns and is pretty powerful for, for combo players and Simic good stuff, probably you could get for $50 top end. And that is, we were looking at the deck list. Some of those cards that were in there, the specific versions were one was from the secret layers. Uh, some other ones were just other versions. You could probably knock that down to maybe 40 or even $30 for a deck that is super good in this format. Uh, the Azra deck I played with tons of value was around $19. It went up from $18.50 to $19 by the time we were recording. So that is the kind of level we're talking about for what it costs. It's like dirt cheap to make a deck that is pretty good, pretty powerful, and you can constantly think about new cards to add from every set, and each one will be a couple cents. And if you're thinking like, okay, well, that that is kind of true with EDH, right? This You build a deck, but a lot of the cards translate, and so you're only paying that huge upfront cost once. And you could probably say that with PDH as well, where, you know, $10, $15, $20 of every deck is going to be your staples. But that's because the staples are so darn cheap. The best tutor, probably the cheapest tutor, Merchant Scroll, $5. Peregrine Drake, that we talked about being absolutely busted and, and crazy in this format uh, with something like Ghostly Flicker or any of those kind of blue combo lines, uh, $250. The Transmutes, which are the other really good uh, tutors, are all sub a dollar besides muddle the mixture. That's like two bucks. So all of these things that you're thinking are the the big winners, even Utopia Sprawl, I think is $4 again. They're super cheap. So you can get the big pieces you want and still have enough money to buy four pizzas. Buy one deck, make four pizzas, buy four decks, get one pizza. The choice <laughs> is yours, but you can do a lot for a little. Mix and match. Format. Mix and match. Mix and match. <laughs> I think the other thing to note is that a lot of the expensive cards in Popper are old blue cards just because that was back when mm-hmm. wizards didn't balance things but like like chev was saying with cards like with things like modern horizons and just modern card design there are so many just good you know even great commons that are just super cheap like i bet you you could build a deck if you've been playing for like two years and you like just drafted every now and then or you just went to a pre-release you could probably build a deck just with the commons that you have lying around from yeah. that and it's like totally serviceable and then you spend five bucks to buy like 20 other cards just to fill your deck out boom put in some tap lands and you're good to go you know what i mean like it's it's super easy you don't even need to get like yeah obviously merchant scroll is great but like you don't need merchant scroll no you can just play a bunch of like cheap stuff because it turns out everyone else is playing those same underpowered cards too so it's like it's not like you're gonna be missing the boat and the other big thing to mention is uh 
with, with EDH, there's there's this idea of, okay, new cards are coming out. I have to buy the old ones before they kind of go up in price for particular tribes. Or a card gets reprinted, uh, but it's going to slowly go up in value due to how powerful it is. And while there is some like old cards and popper are obviously going to cost more, some of the big ones we saw recently was Oubliette and uh, Crypt Rats. Both of those are insanely cheap and they're not really going anywhere in price. When the value is solely due to obscurity, these cards are, are good, but only in very small microcosms. So that means the price is going to stay very low as opposed to your Chords of Calling, your Fetch Lands, these things that might hit a dip, but then go back up. These are generally staying around. And when there is a huge spike, it's a dollar. And you're like, ah, no, now I can't get a lollipop at the grocery store. <laughs> and that's, that's as much as you lose. You lose very little. And so you, can, you don't have to think about kind of buying in advance or any of those kind of things that you can get in a cycle of. It's, it's just a really cheap, really easy format. And it's super good to build like one or two decks and just have them always around. And you don't have to worry, oh no, someone spilled something on your uh, <laughs> 50 cent um, all-star in your deck. It's a quick fix. It's not a diabolic tutor or demonic tutor. Maybe it is a diabol diabolic tutor. Yeah, if it's a diabolic <laughs> tutor, you're fine. Demonic, you might be a little more upset. Oh. Bro, here's the hot tech. Because you're going to go to your pre-release anyway because you like playing Magic and you like supporting your LGS. You go to your pre-release for Crimson Vow. You have a good time. You take your few rares and mythics that you pulled. They're already inflated because of pre-order prices. You immediately sell them back to your LGS right there. <laughs> and then you can just buy a deck. I bet you they'll let you take half the cards for free because they're just like, we don't want this this bulk. Just just take it. You know what I mean? <laughs> they'll you buy pay a few you. cards that are like, yeah. You just you trade those in. You use the the money you need to buy the few cards that are like a buck or a buck fifty, and boom, you got it. You're good mm. to go. Here's, okay, here's what you do: you come in to the to the store with a recycling man hat and like a janitorial staff outfit, and just be like, "I'm taking these down to the plant." The <laughs> yeah, number of grab times the cards people, off the shelf. <laughs> the number of times in Boston, I'd see people just leave their draft chaff on the pre-release table. It's it's more than ten. It's it's nuts, and you can use that to build these decks. There's, there's a lot of ability and there's just as much room for kind of individual expression and all that because each card, since it's that much less powerful, you can pick whatever you want in that slot and be relatively kind of unfazed. Take it in a different direction, make something cool, make an Azure list for $19 and draw half of your deck, if not more. Honestly, with how cheap these decks are and how fun they have been to play, I kind of just want to be like, I'm just going to drop, you know, 50 bucks or like 60 bucks and just make like two or three decks. Mm -hmm. I just I just wish I had people to play in paper with. But I mean, I guess we could play Spell Table if you guys wanted to do that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah I'll, if... I'll play Spell Table. Of course, you've got uh, the, the last money point is, you know how much a foil common costs? <laughs> Bling out your deck for next to nothing. Uh, Julian has been feeling the woes recently, seeing a cool couple secret layers come his way and all that. And I, I definitely have mm -hmm. felt it too. It's much safer to bling out a pauper commander deck when your your uncommon is a draft chaff from uh, AFR or, or something like that. I think Kalein, the uh, Rakdos treasure uncommon from AFR, I think you can get the Dungeons & Dragons look and in foil for max a dollar. Like that is the premium sort of booster fund you can go for and your deck is still dirt cheap. So get out there, save some coin. Just because I, I was noticing this when I was looking through my deck list earlier. Uh, be careful with some of those old ones, though. Or some of this, the more obscure ones, if you're trying to get, like, careful study. Uh, just a single blue, draw two cards, dis discard two cards. Normally, buck 20. Not that bad. You know, blue faithful saluting. But uh, in foil, it's $104. <laughs> okay. So there are a couple of cards where the money policy doesn't work. Stick with uh, the last three years of play design. 
yeah yeah it's it's generally just those old like foil sleight of hand from seventh edition is uh it's either a dollar but it's a foil one is 70 it's like just ridiculous but anyway those are by far the exception and not the norm Mm -hmm. i just had to point them out because it's just absolutely absurd that is ridiculous and ludicrous well we had a lot of fun playing popper we are going to continue to play popper we are going to continue to produce popper content um after you read all of our popper content, you should definitely go check out the creators we mentioned today. Uh, so Alcadron is putting out excellent deck lists. Um, the Dark Confidence uh, over on, Confidants over on YouTube, they have great gameplay. Um, also, we love the Tryhards. Shout out the Tryhard community. They do um, competitive popper um, as well as there's, P- is it PDH Pals? Yeah, PDH Pals is producing content. Um, something that if you're really looking for kind of just diving into this world or you're more interested in the competitive scene we brought it up a few times pdh community is small cpdh community is smaller but definitely interested in growing so we mentioned the triards they have great videos for cpdh uh but playing with power which is normally a cedh youtube channel recently dove into the space and recorded a tryhard session so you can go ahead and check out their channel they go through a quick sort of 30 minute narration if you want like some of the really cool tech and what's happening at the highest level of play in CPDH. Uh, definitely worth checking out. There are there are lots of areas to kind of see this content, see if this is something you want to get into if you don't want to just take our word for it, which, you know, that hurts. But we, we, we understand, you know, trust but verify. <laughs> well, remember, 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 Chev, they're going to do this. They're, they're going to look at these other content creators after they've already binged our entire catalog of PDH stuff. That's true. And where can they find our entire catalog of, of stuff, Julian? Well, we talk about PDH on this podcast from time to time, and I think we're going to be talking about it a, a bit more uh, now that we see what a wonderful community is. But of course, the Hex Drinkers podcast, which you're listening to uh, maybe on Anchor.fm, maybe on Spotify, maybe on Apple Podcasts. Um, but if you want to tell your friends about it, that's where they can find it. Uh, they can also look at our PDH content on our website. We have a bunch of articles. We've been putting out an article basically every week on mm-hmm. PDH content, sometimes two. So they can go to hexdrinkers.com, see all of uh, our PDH articles as well as our other articles if they're interested in those sort of stuff. Uh, also on there, we uh, have our you know video highlights, um, and then you can go straight to the source uh, YouTube. Little spoiler, but either it already exists or should be coming in the next day or two. But we have a uh, very big, very monumental one, might even say, um, uh, PDH a collaboration video coming out. So stay tuned for that on the uh, the Hexdrinkers YouTube channel. Uh, we do not currently stream PDH, but that does sound something that we can remedy in the uh, in the meantime. So uh, just follow us on Twitch. Just you know, hit the little the little follow the little heart button so that you can be ready when we come through, bring in the force. And then, of course, if you want to talk PDH with us um, or any of these creators that we've mentioned, because they are all on Twitter uh, as well as us, just follow us at Hexdrinkers. Um, we're also on Instagram as well at Hexdrinkers. Honestly, I don't know what Chev's posting over there because I don't look at the Instagram. So. <laughs> If he's posting anything that's out of line, anything that's getting a little whack, a little risque, uh, just shoot hit us, us up at hexdrinkers at gmail.com. Exactly. Yeah. Shoot us an email, you know, hit us up. I'll, I'll smack him around. I'll, I'll put some sense into him because I can't have him uh, ruining our lovely Im- image. <laughs> and lastly, of course, if you like what we're doing on any fronts, whether that's PDH, EDH, or anywhere in between, maybe just like the sign of our voices, uh, you can go on over to patreon.com slash hexdrinkers. I'll support us for as little as $1 cast. You get all sorts of uh, benefits. Most notably, you get access to the full uncut version of this podcast, uh, as well as our full notes so that you can see everything we wrote down. Sometimes we just forget to say certain things, or sometimes we, uh, you know, kind of stumble through exactly what we're trying to say. So if you want to see the full deal, that's uh, that. And then also, of course, you get access to the Patreon feed, which we re- uh, reply to with priority, as well as getting to do a um, 
either like a deck tune-up or a, a collaborative deck with us. And if you want that deck to be a PDH deck, well, hell yeah, we're going to be on for that. So go on over to patreon.com slash hexdrinkers and toss a coin to your witchers. Boys, I had a lot of fun playing with common cards. Did you guys have a lot of fun playing with common cards? Of course. I did. And one uncommon card. Had a lot of fun with that one uncommon card. <laughs> a singular un... I actually had two uncommons uh, for the record, so I'm better than you. Boom. And with that... <laughs> and we saw what it did. Been... It, it hit the ground running so much faster. Like I said, I'm better one. than you. Um, Twice as powerful. Yeah. Twice as powerful. Exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, so this has been Jules, Chev, and Oak. We are the Hex Drinkers, and we're signing out. Thank you.